Welcome everyone. I have an amazing guest with us on today's show. I'm your host, Charlene Parker, and we have the mayor of Geronimo, Oklahoma with us today, Kathleen Kalila Rice. Thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. It's really a pleasure. Um, I'm so excited to introduce you all to Kailila because she's not only a mayor in politics, but she's also an artist, a spoken word poet, she's been an entrepreneur, and she has a very dynamic integration of different aspects of herself. And so often we meet artists and they do their artist thing or meet politicians and it seems like they've always been in politics. And you have a little bit of a different story and I would love for you to share what inspired you to become mayor? What led you to getting into politics and, and ultimately campaigning for mayor? Yeah, uh, so people is the short answer. Uh, the community kind of thrust me into being mayor. Uh, I didn't, I really have had no plans of um, becoming a mayor, um, especially a mayor in rural Oklahoma. Uh, the way this all happened was uh, I own a tech company. So I was doing technology work for a client and we were making small talk. And uh, we were talking about how the town that I had lived in was advertising that they needed people to run for mayor. And uh, I thought that was very interesting because in larger cities where I have lived, typically when it comes to politics, they try to keep everything hush hush or like there's huge fees to um, register or like you need a petition with thousands of signatures to even get on the ballot. But here they were just like, hey, we need people to run. This is how you do it. There's no fee. And so um, that's what we were talking about. And um, I didn't know how influential my client was. Um, and so he uh, actually knew some of the business owners of uh, 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 um, in Geronimo. And so he called those business owners, told them about me. And uh, after I finished work, uh, the work, for him, he had set up meetings for me to go see them. And so, of course, he's my client. He's also one of my mentors. So I went to go see some of the business owners in town. We talked for about 30 minutes. And then by the end of that, um, on my way back home, I received a call from the previous mayor. Um, and then after talking with him, uh, pretty much by the end of the day, they were just like, all right, so um, you're going to go sign up, right? And so I'm just like, okay, I guess I'm signing up for mayor. Um, and so I signed up and then I told a few friends, those friends, uh, uh, they, uh, as soon as I told them, they donated money to the campaign. They volunteered to be my campaign manager and my treasurer. Uh, they had already had a logo created for me. So I was just like, all right, I guess, I guess we're going to do this. So long story short, it was just people. Uh, this was not my idea, but I'm glad that it happened. Uh, I was sworn in December 7th of 2017. So I've been the mayor for about one year. Um, and I took over the term of, uh, of the previous mayor who had to resign early. And uh, I'm up for re-election come April, and that will be a four-year term. So what have your clients seen you that he was inspired to encourage you to become mayor? You know, what was it that you were doing in your life, or how are you looking at the world or your approach to change that made all these people say, yeah, I want to encourage you and support you in becoming mayor? Yeah, so just my background, uh, I, at the time, I had recently moved here 
my husband is in, uh, he's in the military. So I was a military spouse and I quit my job up in Boston and I was kind of sad. So I started my own company, my own tech company here. So I could still kind of uh, be involved in that community and have an excuse to go to certain conferences. And so I guess just with my background, me being young uh, and entrepreneurial and being able to hire people and being professional. Uh, and then also, I'm also pretty outspoken with my background as a spoken word poet. Uh, so I guess those qualities with the fact that I'm used to being afraid and uh, pushing through that fear. And I'm also not afraid of failure, which I know holds a lot of people back. And I'm also pretty good with taking criticism. I don't really take a lot of things personally. Uh, so I guess just like with my background, they might have saw something uh, that was useful for Geronimo. Mm. I just want to repeat back. Those are three incredible skills, especially for any entrepreneur, any business leader, just leader in general, is the ability to take criticism. So the ability to receive feedback and not have it break you, not actually have it bring you down or take it personally, but actually be able to receive it and hear it. The ability to act even when you're afraid and the ability to, uh, to not, you're not afraid of failure. You're not afraid to fail. So that, that comes in play with like being afraid, but acting anyways. And so you're willing to just go for it and you'll figure it out later if you, if you fail, but it's, it's work. Do you feel that it's, worse for you to not go for something and fail than it would be to stay a little bit safer and just see a little bit more of a certain path? Yes, I would prefer to reach for the stars and fail. Uh, I think there's a, a saying that says like shoot for the uh, moon if you miss you'll land amongst the stars or something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. My like kindergarten teacher taught me that. But for the most part, I would rather, um, you know, have huge dreams and try to shoot for them. And if I fail, uh, the worst that can happen is that I learn from it and I can just try again. Like life is long and short at the same time. So, <laughs> yeah. And how have you cultivated some of those skills? Has there been anything that you've consciously done to be able to act even when you're afraid or to, did you used to be afraid of failure and then something happened or you just made a, a, a shift? You know, what, if people are like, I'm afraid or I am afraid of failure um, or I do take things personally, was there a time where any of those were true for you and you just were able to make some shifts so that you could become a new woman and a more powerful leader? Yeah, so I used to be a perfectionist. Um, I, even in high school, uh, elementary, uh, I would always, uh, so if I didn't make a good grade most of the time, it was because I didn't even turn in my homework. And most of the time, the reason why I wouldn't turn in my homework is because it wasn't perfect. Uh, so that's how bad, of, you know, of a perfectionist that I was, is that like, I wouldn't even let you see my work if I didn't think that it was good enough. Mm. Um, and so uh, I guess what happened was my first try uh, when I decided to go to college uh, ended in failure for the most part. Um, and I did everything that I could to prevent it from turning out the way that it did. And what that taught me was that even sometimes when you try your best, um, when you're honest, when you, uh, you know, are a good person, when you follow the rules, 
um, things may still not turn out in your favor. And, um, you know, life doesn't end there and neither does your chances. And um, what, you know, um, I, and I guess what I learned from that is that there's many solutions to reaching your end goal. And so my end goal in going to that college was to uh, serve my community in a, you know, in a respectable fashion. So whether that was to, at the time, become, you know, like a, a recognized uh, officer in the military so I could do the humanitarian aspect of aid, um, or, you know, whether that was to become some type of politician um, to where I could uh, better legislate so people who are subject to systems um, actually have their voices heard and the systems are made more fair for those people. Um, those are my end goals in going to college. And when my first try didn't work out, um, I was shown by other people uh, that there's other ways of making those things happen. And so that, you know, that was probably my largest failure. And um, because I survived that, um, I've also learned that, um, you know, it's okay to not be a perfectionist. And sometimes if you just try, um, amazing things can happen just from your effort. Mm. It's a powerful lesson. Thank you for sharing that. How did you win the campaign? I know you went up against a couple other people and your brand, you're new to town, period, new to politics. Mm -hmm. And what were some of the keys for you to actually be able to take office? Yeah, uh, the singular strategy was to talk to people. So door knocking, uh, sitting in people's homes. I had uh, a couple conversations that lasted until like one, two in the morning uh, over at people's homes uh, to talk about sensitive topics and discussions that uh, other people would have felt uncomfortable with. So um, yeah, I guess my strategy was to speak to people's hearts um, and to let them know that like, I don't have any agenda. You know, I uh, am not trying to use the town for my own personal gain, that I really do care um, and that I have these ideas. And if you think, you know, these ideas are something that you would want them implemented, then I would love to help implement them. Um, and, and that was pretty much what our strategy was, was to just get out in the community, um, have people get to know me. Uh, and because uh, out here in rural Oklahoma, people work, people are very, very hardworking. And so it's not uncommon for people to work 10, 12 hours. Um, like even my husband, he typically works like 12 hour days. Um, yeah and so uh i first started hosting like town halls and only like two or three people would come um and so our strategy just ended up being, you know try to reach out to people schedule times you can meet with them and uh work around their schedule and so mm -hmm. i took about a month off from work just so i could uh have my whole day and night open um, to work with people when they uh, were available. Wow, so you, you really connected one-on-one -on -one individually with the hearts of the people in the town and created yes. trust 
And so what you said at creating trust was, was one of the core reasons that you were able to win office. Yes, creating trust and then also uh, uh, having people feel like they were being heard. I think also too many times like with politicians or with people in power, they forget that, uh, uh, that they may not know everything. And um, me being new to the town worked in my favor because even if I wanted to, I couldn't pretend like, oh, I know everything about, you know, Oklahoma or, uh, you know, or like what you need. Like I couldn't come in like this, uh, like this benevolent figure and, and be like, you know, I'm going to save you from this because I didn't know what the problems were. And so I think also just being humble and being willing to listen and have uh, this community of Geronimo educate me on what they need. And then, you know, me being able to use the resources that I have and present, you know, uh, come up with the plan and then also go back to them for feedback. Like, hey, you know, I haven't been here that long. This is what you told me some of the problems are. This is, you know, this is my plan. What do you think? So kind of having that collaborative aspect, uh, I think also is what uh, helps me to connect with people. So would you say that you were really leading with curiosity? So rather than even starting with, these are the things I think you really led with curiosity and hearing people first. Yes. And then you brought in your ideas and let it be collaborative. Correct. Yep. This is powerful. And this is, you know, for everyone listening, we're talking about her um, run for mayor, and this is so relevant for any type of business. And actually on that note, I'm curious, because you're an entrepreneur, how would you compare be, being and becoming a mayor and just politics to entrepreneurship? What are the similarities? What are the differences? Yeah, so uh, the similarities, uh, so I'm a mayor of a town with only 1,200 people. And again, we're, you know, we're in rural Oklahoma and the way our uh, laws are set up for revenue is pretty much the revenue that our government gets for us to perform services come from uh, sales tax and comes from our, uh, our utilities, so like trash, water, stuff like that. Um, what that means is that uh, since we're in rural Oklahoma, houses are spread out and there's not that many businesses. Uh, we tend to not have a giant budget to perform city services. Uh, and so the same with entrepreneurship, how you need to do a lot of things, but you tend to not have a huge budget to, uh, to, to complete the tasks that you need to complete in order to be a business. And so uh, the two parallels are that with both being a mayor of a small town and, uh, and the owner of a small business is that I have to be really good at creative problem solving. And I have to also uh, be okay with doing multiple jobs um, and uh, being okay with uh, learning how to barter um since i can't always pay people uh or pay for things uh with money i have to pay in other ways whether that's um you know hey you know this person or this ministry isn't really good with marketing so let me uh teach them about social media and then in return you know they donate uh food to our food bank 
or um, you know, uh, we need our roads fixed and our sales tax doesn't cover that. And so let me go take a grant writing workshop so I can learn to write a grant um, and then at the same time, let me network with some state legislators so I know what grant to apply for. So things like that. Um, and on the business side, same thing, you know, just, um, hey, you know, I might not be the best when it comes to, uh, I guess, accounting or um, I won't be approved for a business loan because, you know, this uh, business that I have has only been uh, in existence for two years and typically you need to be in business for five years before a bank will approve you for a substantial loan. And so, you know, going to uh, investors and, um, you know, asking them for mentorship as opposed to money and then, then having them follow you so that they can see your success and then having them write a letter um, in support of your business so you can get funding, things like that. Um, I guess are some of the parallels of just, you know, being able to be a creative problem solver and also being able to uh, not try to do everything on your own. Um, because just with running this town, if I were to come in and um, just not ask for help, um, you know, not try to network, um, just use my own network and, uh, and not allow other people to be a part of government, um, I would fail. And same with uh, being an entrepreneur. If I didn't ask for help, if I uh, didn't also try to help other people, um, I would fail um, because you can't do these things on your own. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're rich, that's one thing, but I'm not rich. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah. This is powerful. So, you know, you're in this small local, this town that doesn't have a lot of funding, like some towns may. And you see these solutions that you want to implement, and you don't actually have the resources and funding to do them. So rather than just being at cause and, and not actually saying, well, we can't, we don't have the funding, so we can't do it. It's all nice ideas, and we're just going to do what we can. You're actually getting creative about, we're not going to just take what is as as so. We're not going to just say, okay, because we don't have the money, based on how this government is, is run, the revenues run, um, we're not gonna just sit there. You're actually looking for creative, you know, you said pre creative problem solving, and I almost wanna take the problem out of there. A lot of people think about creative problem solving, but you're just thinking creatively. You're thinking mm -hmm. about creative solutions, you're thinking about creative opportunities, creative outlets, creative collaborations, and then such an important piece that you mentioned um, for both entrepreneurship and government is to ask for support and to network and to mentor and be mentored. And, uh, you know, I think it's really interesting that you said, go to investors and then ask for their mentorship so that later down the line, they'll write you a letter and so you're, it's easier to get funded. You know, most people will go right to the investor and ask for funding. And what, how brilliant to go to them and ask for mentorship so that you can actually then become prepared to really receive that funding as well, right? There's so many layers to that that's actually so brilliant and not the normal pathway that people tend to take. Right, right. Yeah, so I could see why your client was like, you need to be mayor because your mind is working in, in creative ways. Yes. And so how amazing, you know, you're, you have a background as an artist and a lot of people, there's a stigma around artists and the way they use their brain and it's not business oriented or it's not logical or whatever the 
stigmas are that unfortunately are in the world, but how amazing that you're actually, this way of thinking creatively is an artistic way of looking at the world. You're just applying it in very practical ways with business and politics. Right, right. And in fact, um, when I first became mayor, um, uh, some of the office staff and even some of my city counselors uh, didn't, they weren't used to the way that I work. Uh, most people aren't because it is artistic and different. Um, and so a lot of times the way that I work when it comes to uh, just uh, trying to help the town is I tend to work on multiple things. Uh, at the same time, uh, but I do a, uh, you know, so like, for instance, if I have five tasks, uh, I will work on each of the five tasks for 20 minutes at a time. So like, I'll do task one for 20 minutes, then I'll switch to task two for 20 minutes, and I'll switch, switch to task three. Whereas uh, in business, most people tend to just work on one task until that's completed, and then they go to a second task until that's done. And that's, I mean, that's a great way of working too. It's just uh, here in Geronimo, because uh, I've wanted to do so much in a short amount of time, and because I also uh, have come into this uh, without, uh, like I said, knowing that much, um, I figured that I would try to work on something uh, and then, uh, pretty much I would try to work on many things at the same time and then whichever ends up catching momentum, then focus on that. Um, and then circle back and, you know, just work on task one again and then work on task two again, just because um, there's so much that I've wanted to do. Um, I'm not sure if I explained that in the best way, but pretty much just, you know, being artistic and, um, I guess, using a more creative approach uh, that's not as static has uh, benefited us. Um, and I've been able to uh, at least complete more than what I would have if I would have uh, just stuck to one task because there's many roadblocks that I can't see. And so if, you know, task one is being held up by something that's out of my control and it's going to take, you know, um, nine months to undo that roadblock, um, I've already started working on tasks too, and then I can just switch to that and add more time to that. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that when I, you know, going into this situation, because I didn't know what to expect, I've had uh, very little experience with government work um, and uh, even less experience with a rural environment. Being able to work on multiple things at the same time um, has kind of shielded me from uh, when barriers arise, uh, to still be able to go around those barriers and still get things accomplished. Um, just because they've all had um, different work done to them. Right, so you're putting things out there and you're just experimenting. You're seeing what, what goes, what catches, and rather than putting all of your eggs into one basket, sort of say. And I'm curious what your thought is or just your experience. Um, you know, there's a lot of business people that will say things like, I just heard this quote that if you try to catch two rabbits, you'll catch none. Yes. And so it's this concept of if you're focusing your attention on more than one thing, then none of those things become powerful. And, and I, I actually have a hard time with this because mm -hmm. I, my natural, more creative 
desire is to create multiple things. But I also see the power when people do, they really go all in on one thing. And so I'm just curious what your experience has been of like, so you just said about the power of doing multiple things so that if there's a roadblock, you have another thing you can start working on. What has there been any challenges though with your, and you also said you have a very small team. So has there been challenges with being too spread thin or have you only seen benefits of having multiple different projects you're working on at once? Uh, yes. So in the beginning, uh, because my staff wasn't used to working with me, uh, and they were more used to the, you know, you do one task approach and then you finish that and then you do the second task. Um, I had to reel in the amount of tasks that I was doing at, uh, one time. And then I also had to take over some of the, I guess, project management work until uh, they were able to kind of watch what I was doing. Um, and so it was a bit difficult to communicate what my plans were and how it was going to all come together. But now that some things have started to uh, become finished and we can scratch them off the list, uh, they've now seen, I guess, the model that I've been using and I guess the framework that I've been using. And so uh, my staff has been able to better help out when it comes to uh, just doing the multiple things. And when I say my staff, I'm talking about two people. So um, yeah, but uh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about your model or what you know what you are modeling or just maybe some of the ways that you do organize or project manage when you have five different projects going at the same time? Yes, yeah, so I make notes uh, that are on my phone and I use some collaborative software. So those notes also end up on my computer. Um, and I tend to put different dates that I want things accomplished. Um, and uh, because a lot of times these are problems that haven't had solutions before, uh, I give myself a deadline as to uh, when I'm going to stop working in a particular way. So for example, let's say uh, I want to uh, get money for, uh, for, for, for our street. And one way that I'm going to try to do it is uh, there's this grant that I'm going to apply for. This grant is going to be called REAP grant, right? And so I'm going to give myself until Friday to, uh, you know, to, uh, to schedule a meeting with this person who's done that grant before. Um, and then at the same time, um, I'm also trying to bring business into Geronimo. Um, but in order to bring business, uh, we need a stronger infrastructure. And so uh, I'm going to give myself until Monday to find the maps uh, for our water lines uh, so I can start building our infrastructure or just seeing what we need to happen. At the same time, um, I'm going to also uh, talk to some of the landowners to figure out what their plans are for Geronimo because they've told me that they've also want to develop it. I'm gonna give myself until Thursday to try to schedule a meeting with them, right? So those are three tasks, right? Talk to the landowners, talk to, uh, or try to find the maps for our water and then try to find money by applying for this grant. 
Um, so let's say, you know, um, when I start applying for the grant, um, I realize that um, we got the same grant 10 years ago, but it was never closed out. And so uh, in order for us to qualify for this grant again, um, I have to now find paperwork from 10 years ago um, so I can close out the grant um, so we can then become eligible for it. Right. So that's going to add, you know, um, like at least another month on to being able to apply for the grant. So we missed that deadline. Right. Um, then I take the time that I was going to spend for the grant and I put it on the next two tasks, which is uh, by uh, Thursday and Monday to find the um, to find the maps for the water and then to also reach out to those who own land in Geronimo. Um, you know, let's say that I am able to find the maps and I was able to do it in like 12 hours um, as opposed to waiting all the way, um, you know, as opposed to waiting 24 hours. So I can then start taking those maps and um, by my deadline of Thursday, I can, um, put another task on there, which is, you know, take it down to our courthouse and have those interpreted to me so I know what they mean, right? Um, so just stuff like that is just how I would move tasks around. And like, you know, if I were to, um, uh, if I was able to get in touch with some of the landowners quicker than Monday, um, and I was able to get in touch with them Friday, then I would move stuff up. If I wasn't able to get in touch with them, then I would, you know, move stuff back. So just the stuff gets completed, you know, you kind of uh, move it in line, I guess kind of like a, uh, uh, a machine and a factory, how like they have, you know, different tasks and if um, the machine is broken, you, you know, you, uh, I guess, change what you're doing and um, uh, focus on something else that you can do, uh, you can do efficiently. Yeah. So you have to be a very dynamic schedule. You know what you want to accomplish. You've always put deadlines to it, it sounds like, which is key. But then you're, if something gets moved or shifted, you're always reorienting everything you had on there, reallocating your time and just keeping it updated constantly and not saying, okay, now I have a day off. You're just moving things and adjusting things. And so was that part of the thing that was hard for some of your team because it was so dynamic and you're like, this, this isn't a static thing. This is, we're rolling with it every day we're gonna do our best to plan, but then we're gonna pivot every time we need to pivot. Right, right, and uh, and the pivoting is what was difficult. Um, because when you, you know, uh, work in a way that's more, uh, you know, just, okay, we're going to get money for our streets. And that's the only thing we're gonna focus on until we get that accomplished. Uh, there's not much pivoting. And so um, just teaching others how to be flexible and how to stay optimistic, uh, especially when you're told no or when you find out something's not working. Uh, I think those uh, have been some of the keys to uh, just being able to get things done. Yeah, and again, you know, this is so key for any of us in business, being able to pivot, to be able to make changes, not to be so attached to one outcome and actually be able to, life is dynamic. And, and but people want don't like change in general and so and then to stay optimistic in it you know we can so easily we get what we perceive as a bad response or an undesirable response or answer and then it can feel like a roadblock for people and they only see a wall 
And it sounds like rather than seeing a wall, you just see, okay, now you need to make a left turn where you thought you were going to make a right turn. Um, So this is, this is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, you talked about optimism and a lot of people in the world are pretty discouraged around politics. And what do you see is possible in people getting involved in their local politics? You know, do you want to encourage young people around the world to think about becoming mayors and, and getting involved? Yeah, uh, I say just try, um, but make sure that you have good intentions because if you don't, most of the times people can see through it and we don't need any more people with bad intentions with power. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but also make sure that uh, you take steps to also take care of yourself. This is probably the most stressful thing that I've ever done, um, but it's also the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. Um, and, uh, you know, I speak on this a lot. I wouldn't be here if it weren't, uh, for the support of, of, uh, I guess of the community. Um, and I wouldn't be able to have success without having a community that I can lean on. And then even like for personal, uh, sanity, um, I have my own, you know, community for that as well. Um, so, you know, just, uh, I mean, you know, when it comes to politics, I say go for it, but just be aware that as a public figure, your words uh, carry a lot more weight and uh, people can also criticize uh, a lot uh, stronger because you are now the face, right? So, you know, how like, you know, people say, oh, you know, like, tacit, uh, what is it, like, taxation is theft and, you know, the government this and the government that. Well, now you're the government. So a lot of times when people see you, right, and, you know, let's say somebody, um, you know, lost their job and now they're having a hard time uh paying uh you know paying uh their water bill right and uh the government cut their water off right well you're that face and so just you know also prepare yourself to be able to um handle criticism that may uh not really have anything to do with you and more so just your position um and you know be able to still be compassionate and to really see through what people are trying to say even when they're angry and choose you as the person that they're going to express their anger to um you know i think a lot of people in the world are afraid to get into politics because they they perceive it as being very stressful like you just said it is it's a lot of work there's a lot of criticism and so in the U.S. political system, this is actually pretty well known. Like people are very aware of it. I think it really limits people from being inspired to run. And so with that being true, you also said it's the most fulfilling work you've done. Mm-hmm. Would you share with us a little bit more about how it's fulfilling and what does it mean for you to be a mayor? Like what in, in terms of your impact in the world, in the country, on people's lives, what is the significance for you and what is the joy for you of being mayor? Yes, yes. So my goal is to give people hope. And so being able to um, have some of the girls that are in the local high school here, like come up to me and be like, you know, like uh, I'm, you know, like I'm not used to seeing women um, in, you know, like in the type of position um, that you're in. Like, that's really um, amazing. And then also 
having other people who, you know, I guess, um, um, who, you know, who were black, um, uh, like having like old grandmothers who like 60, 70, 80, you know, 90 years old coming up to me crying. Like I thought I would never see the day. Um, you know, just, I guess, being the face of, I guess, change and hope. Um, and also, uh, seeing how you can positively influence, uh, people is also a very rewarding thing. And I guess that's what keeps me going when, you know, I do get stressed or, uh, you know, when I just, uh, finish getting yelled at by someone who is frustrated that, uh, you know, that uh, they can't pay their water bill. Um, is, you know, just also, uh, knowing that, um, I'm, you know, that I'm in a position to, uh, change laws and to, um, better make systems that, uh, can, you know, better have some compassion for people, um, fall on hard times, you know, uh, you know, maybe we can come up with a small payment plan or things like that. So um, just, you know, being able to, I guess, inject some compassion into a very structured system and then also being able to give people hope um, and a sense of community and pride and being that thing is also something that's uh, very fulfilling. How do you think the country would change if every mayor was compassionate, caring, and really connect with people's hearts, whether they consider themselves Democratic, Republican, right, left, whatever, like that aside, if mm -hmm. everyone was truly, every mayor was truly compassionate and connected to their heart, how do you think the country would change? I think it would change a lot. Um, I think people would uh, feel like this place is home. I think a lot of the division that uh, we see is uh, comes from people othering other people and um, comes from, you know, I guess a better way to describe it is like if, um, if you see America as, as, you know, like as your family home. And um, if you see, uh, you know, I guess uh, a person in, uh, a person in Oklahoma as, as a stepchild, um, you know, to, to a person who's, who, uh, who's living in Boston. Um, you know, they don't really see each other like that often, but, um, you know, but if the parents were compassionate and made the two children play with one another and um, also uh, fairly disciplined uh, those children, um, they would learn to work together and they would learn to appreciate one another. And then they would also learn about one another. Um, I'm not sure if that was a good analogy, but I guess my point is, is that um, people tend to emulate what they see. And so if our leaders were more compassionate and uh, valued understanding as opposed to being right and valued, uh, you know, uh, valued, uh, I guess, being humble and being okay with uh, not being seen as perfect all the time and not being uh, the person who has all the answers. Like if they were okay with 
collaborating more with their community, then people would also learn those skills and people would also value those skills. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, someone once told me, like, nobody wakes up with the intent to cause harm or with the intent to be a bad person. Um, many times, um, especially today with some of the issues, many times those things happen um, uh, by accident, you know, like it's not intentional. Um, and so if uh, we practice more compassion and understanding, um, as a whole, and this is just in a general sense, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are specific cases where um, somebody did mean to cause harm and then, you know, but in a general sense, if we were uh, to practice compassion, respect, understanding, um, just as leaders, um, even if we disagree with one another, um, I think those who um, look up to us would also uh, do a better job with that. And then we could, you know, better heal as a nation than everybody could feel like this is home. Hmm. This is such a beautiful analogy of really looking at the whole country as our home, as our, you know, you started bringing in the analogy of, you know, the family homes in two different states and stepchildren, but I really took it as looking at the whole country as our family home. And for me, event, the world as well. It's like we're all global citizens, you know, we're, we're all part of one family. And, you know, I know that you chose, correct me if I'm wrong, but you chose to run as an independent. So you didn't do Democrat, Republican. And I'm curious if you could share with us your perspective on, you know, you're talking about othering mm -hmm. and how you think that this plays into the othering, you know, with the, the right versus left battle that is American politics and it's similar in many other cultures, right? It's just like such a me against you kind of drama. Um, what do you think is possible or what can we do to kind of move out of that? You know, you took more of a middle ground and you're just connecting people's hearts. Could you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, so I ran as an independent because I wanted people to see me and not my party. Um, and I also didn't want to, I guess, be confined or boxed in to uh, what the specific political parties stand for. Um, I'm boxed in enough. <laughs> and so um, I guess that's why I'm an independent. Like, I want people to see the vision and see the dream um, as opposed to, you know, also um, dealing with, you know, those who choose to be in a party, dealing with the fear of, you know, oh, i am got to step out of my party and, you know, can I trust a Democrat or can I trust a Republican? You know, I was like, just focus on trusting me. Like, that's, you know, like, that's all. Um, and so, um, yeah, I guess my philosophy is that there's um, certain things in the Democratic Party that, you know, uh, that I agree with. Um, there's also things that I disagree with. And same with the Republican Party. There's um, other things that I agree with the Republican Party on. Um, and then there's a lot that I disagree with. And um, so just when it comes for, you know, me, I guess, as a politician, as a leader, as a person who wants just everybody to get along and, you know, all of us to live our best lives uh, is, <laughs> yes, um, you know, is that I, I, I mean, I, I just don't 
want to continue to be boxed in. Um, and uh, I want all of us to uh, reach the, you know, I guess reach the American dream. I know we're talking globally, so reach, you know, whatever um, prosperity that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, like that we see. And I, uh, I don't know, I, I guess what I realized with studying American politics is that at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. Mm. It's just the different political parties exist as a method as to how to do that. And um, what I think is that uh, it's time for a new way to figure out how to do that. One that, you know, um, isn't so divisive. And uh, that's why I'm not subscribed to, you know, being a Democrat or a Republican, because um, I'd rather just come up with a new way that, you know, utilizes the good in both parties, the good in, you know, that doesn't exist in both parties, um, depending on, you know, what you think to accomplish that goal that we all want. So, This is so important to really remember that almost every human has the same fundamental desires. Most of us have very shared value systems and you know, you, your, your mayorship is in service to people living their best life. I mean, how beautiful is that? And that's what politics were originally created for. That's what our founding fathers of America created politics for, and it's shifted in a lot of ways. But the general population of the world all just desires to live their best life. And the political parties are like our value-based systems, but people forget about just the core underlying value that are usually shared among most people. Um, and I'm I'm just curious from this place of, you know, really acknowledging that you don't want to be boxed in, that you actually want to um, share a vision with the world and it not being about who's right and who's wrong um, and this or that, you know, like this comparison, this othering, but actually like, what is the vision for the world, for the country, for our city that we're living into and the vision that we have for our own lives and really leading with that vision. Um, I would love for you to share if there's anything that you'd really love to leave our audience with today, anything that you'd really just want people to think about or be curious about or to lead their life with. If you could leave people with one message, what would it be? Yeah, that uh, change comes first from speaking to people's hearts. And the way that we do that first is by learning to care for one another. And in order to be able to care for one another, in order to be able to care for one another, we have to first understand them um, and spend time with them. And, uh, you know, and there's another saying that, you know, before people care about, uh, you know, before people care about what you can do, like they first care about if you care. Um, and so um, if we learn to just genuinely, you know, care for others and, uh, know you know uh speak to those underlying values that we all share um such as you know just being loved and feeling heard and important um and if we just start there a lot of good can happen from that mm. Mm. this is a powerful message to leave us with to actually cultivate caring and to lead with heart, to connect people's hearts, whether we're in politics or running businesses or leading communities, it's all really the same. It's all the same applied in many ways. And so, and I love it, you know, this 
that you came as an entrepreneur into politics and also an artist into an entrepreneur into politics. And so for anyone out there who's feeling um, like you feel you have a vision for your local community, but you've maybe thought that there wasn't a place for you or that it wouldn't work or you have whatever limiting beliefs or doubts, you have more to lose by not trying, right? You, you might as well just go for it. If you feel inspired from the U.S. to become a mayor, like campaign for it. If you're in the world, whatever your local politics are, your local community leading, you can have any background. And if you're leading with vision and you're connecting to people's hearts, then it's possible for you to make a change. And if you actually care about it, at least that's what I'm taking away yes. from Kalila share with us. And so let, let her be an inspiration for all of us that we actually can make a change and that we can shift the way things have been. And we can, you know, you are the youngest mayor ever in Geronimo, right? Yes. And the second ever African-American woman, is that correct? Uh, I'm the second woman, uh, first African-American person. Wow, first African-American person, youngest and second woman. So she's breaking records over here. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Mayor Catherine, you are so amazing. I'm really grateful to get to share you with the world. And how can people find you? How can people connect with you and hear more about your ideas and what you're up to? Yes, so um, you can follow me on, uh, so if you are on Facebook, you can uh, search Mayor Catherine Rice. And I should be the only one that pops up. Um, I'm also my portfolio website, which kind of shows a background into all that I do, is uh, Kalila.com. Kalila is my middle name, and that is spelled K-Y-L-I-L-A, um, and that's .com. Um, I think those are the two main ways. I'm also on Instagram, both under Kalila as well as Mayor Catherine Rice, um, and I'm also on Twitter as at Poetic Change. So, um, yep. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. And we'll make sure to link um, some of those things in the show notes so that people can easily find you and, and just follow you in your amazing journey to create a more loving world. Thank you for being on this mission and for sharing it with all of us. Awesome. Thank you, Charlene, for having me. That's my pleasure.